You may be seated. Uh, next week we will return to the, to the book of John. If you remember last fall we looked at John 1 through 5. And so we're going to pick back up on John chapter 6 and hopefully before Christmas we'll get through John through 8. And the reason that we're studying uh, the book of John is because John is pounding at the very heart of, of the gospel. And we have a lot of people who come who are seeking, uh, people who are not sure about the faith. Um, and so John is a good book um, to look at. So I have one sermon to do before we look at the book of John. When I thought about uh, that I wanted to deliver this morning to us as, as, the, as a church. And if you're not a Christian today and you're visiting, uh, I want you to follow along as well. Because I think as you look at uh, our text, uh, hopefully you would say, okay, that is what the church should be. <laughs> Maybe I would be a believer. Now I'm going to read uh, a letter written by the, the prophet Jeremiah, who is known as the weeping prophet. Many scholars think that he was probably the prophet who had the most difficulty uh, as a prophet. He prophesied for 50 years, and he was prophesying to people who said, we're God's people. We don't really need to hear your judgments against us. And so they surrounded themselves with other prophets of Israel who were always preaching peace. It's not going to happen. God wants you to have your best life now. We're God's people. And to be told something falsely is something that really begins to affect you because you go, wait a minute, this is what I'm hearing, but here's reality, and Jeremiah is dealing with realities. But let me tell you, it's, it's a letter of, of comfort to a people who are in despair. Maybe you're in despair today. Maybe your despair is your unbelief. Maybe yours is as you grow up in the church, but you don't know if you believe it anymore. But it's also a letter of exhortation as how we are to be as God's people in the midst of the city of man. We're to be salt and light. So I want you to turn to our text this morning, this letter. A letter that was written from Jerusalem to Babylon because if you don't know church, I mean, uh, redemptive history, God had taken his covenant people away. And they're in captivity in Babylon because of their sin, their chastisement. And, and so I want you to listen to this letter. Try to follow along with me as I read this letter of encouragement and exhortation to the church in Babylon. Uh, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Uh, this, was after, uh, this was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. And the letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It's sad. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreamers that dream, the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie. They are prophesying to you in, in my name. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them to declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed uh, for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for the wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. It's God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as we, uh, before we come to the Lord's Supper together, uh, Lord, we know it is word and sacrament. And so, Lord, we need to hear your word. And so we pray for the work of the Spirit in the lives of those who sit before me. Father, I am uh, incapable of converting or helping understand. Uh, But, Lord, you are. And, Father, I pray that there would be those who are here today who would have uh, attentive ears and would not be dull of hearing. And so, Lord, help both the preacher and the congregation. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. As we come to to look at our text, uh, this letter of Jeremiah, I I thought it it important uh, to say something uh, about a sermon in itself, that a sermon is only valid when the minister actually preaches the text that's before him. Um, Because after all, it, it is the word of God. We just read the word of God and it's my task to take it from then and show you that it's relevant to today. But there is this problem that's called the hermeneutical problem. And what that's a big fancy word, and it's a word uh, that means interpretation. How do you actually interpret the word that you read, right? Because even a minister uh, or a layman that really loves God's word can easily misinterpret the word. And if you misinterpret the word... Uh, then it's like uh, the, the doctor uh, who, mis, uh, who misinterprets a diagnosis and so he gives the medication 
to a, a misinterpretation. Right, doctor? And so he either or she is giving medicine that either is of absolutely no value or in reality can maybe hurt or wound the patient. Now let me give you an example of this because there's all sorts of ways, uh, misinterpretations of Bible verses I've seen over the years. Now, in Isaiah 55, for instance, and you're going to see why I'm saying this here in a minute, okay? But in, in Isaiah 55, uh, maybe you're familiar with it. It goes like this. If, again, if, if you're not a Christian, I'm sure you've heard it at some point. Isaiah says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Have you ever heard that verse? And people go, okay, so here's the, it's true, and they, they read it, and, 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 but really in reality, because they don't read it in context, here's what most people will say about that verse. Well, you know what? I guess you can't really know God. Because after all, I can't think thoughts after him. His thoughts are beyond mine. His ways are past my ways. And so you kind of leave God as the good man upstairs, but he's the good man upstairs that you never really see. But if you put it in its context, and I'm not saying that that's not a a, a nice verse, but can I I put it in in its context and kind of tell you what it's really saying? Verses above that, listen to this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thought. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. In other words, in the verses before that, number one, he's saying, listen, seek him while you can. (laughs) He's not saying, well, you know, his thoughts are great and your thoughts and his ways are great and your thoughts... I'm telling you that God's word says that you should seek him while he may be found. And then he tells you why. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Did you see what it said about man's thoughts? They're wicked. They're twisted. But my thoughts aren't like that. So you can seek me. I mean, have you ever trusted somebody and found out you couldn't trust somebody? And he says that My ways aren't your ways. What does he say about your ways and my ways? You know what? If your ways are like mine, they're often crooked, aren't they? But God is worthy to be known because he's not like that. Do you understand? It's important when you read the scriptures to read every text in context. Well, I want to tell you, this passage that we have today is another one that's taken out of context. Have you ever heard that verse, I know my plans for you? Plans uh, for good, plans to, to prosper you. And, and so you bring out your daily devotional book, and that's, you know, you read your devotion, that's your verse for the day, you take your verse for the day, and. But here's what happens uh, your day begins to turn south. And all hell breaks loose. And then it's wave upon wave upon wave to the point where you begin to doubt your faith. Is it all true? I spoke to someone recently and, and they, I think very sincerely, 
uh, had been brought to a point where they said, I, I want to surrender my life to Christ. Uh, because because uh, I think God's at work in this person's life. But my question to this person was, well, what if you surrender your life and as bad as things have gotten, they get worse? What will you do then? So my question to you this morning is, can you say that God's plans are good for you? When in reality, uh, you kind of hate your job (laughs) right now. Uh, if you're honest, or if you say, I'm, if I'm honest with you, I'm unhappy in my marriage. I don't, I'm, I'm a Christian, my wife's a Christian, but I don't like my marriage. I don't know how we started out to, to honor you, but right now we don't like each other. We don't even hardly talk to each other. We have no real relationship. Or perhaps you're a single person, and, uh, and you're lonely, and uh, you're, you're overwhelmed with your singleness. Or you're a person who's here today, and there's many who are here who are addicted to certain things. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And you say, um, I don't know if my faith can hold. In vain have I kept my hands clean. Well, let me tell you this. I do believe that verse is true for you, if you're a Christian. God does uh, have a, a plan for you. And the reason I chose the title of the sermon, if you actually read the titles, I hope you do. I work kind of hard on them. Even counting the stuff on the front of the bulletin, the quotes. But, um, but you, the title is, um, God delights in himself and he delights in you. But over my years of ministry, because I think there's so much misunderstanding of the true gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done on your behalf, that you mingle that with your stuff and what you do, and basically you're thinking, I think God tolerates me. You feel that way today? I'm sorry. I'm a sorry person. I'm a Christian, but I'm not a good Christian because I don't love God. I never talk about God. I don't really read the word the way I do, and I'm just a sorry excuse. Uh, for a Christian. Do you think that way? Well, the reason I also title it God Delights in Himself is not because He's some cosmic egomaniac, but because of who He is as a person, that He's perfect in all His attributes. And he has, if there's such thing as delight, He can only ultimately delight in Himself because He is not twisted, is He? He is faithful and He is true. That not only is God righteous and just and holy, things we don't hear about anymore in sermons, but he's also loving and merciful and kind and long-suffering and he's patient. And so it's my desire this morning for you to understand at an individual level that if you're in Jesus Christ, God delights in you. Now, why do I tell you that? Because actually... This text is speaking to the people of God. It's not just speaking to individuals, but what's true of the individual collectively will be true of the whole. So here's the point. You cannot be what this text says unless you believe that God delights in you. And why does he delight in you? Because you're a wonderful person. You share your faith. I share my faith all the time. It's just like, like I can't help but do it. 
But it doesn't mean I'm a great guy. There are other areas of my life that are so inconsistent, you would go to the Baptist church if you knew me the way I do. Or the Methodist church. Or the Pentecostal church, okay. But I want us as a people to be a blessing to the city, and that's what the text is really talking about. But we can't be a blessing together if we ourselves are not repenting of our self-righteousness and our misery and our self-pity and woe is me. You know what a change is? It's not the wrath of God, and I believe in it, by the way, because there is evil in the world, and a lot of it abides in us. But Scripture teaches that God is both uh, just uh, and the justifier of those that believe and that God wants to work his purposes out in us once we rest in what Christ has done on our behalf. He's accomplished the work. Do you understand that? Uh, but it's, the scripture says it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance, not his wrath, not his justice, not his holiness. Trust me, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you will bow up, your, you will bow up on that one. And you will bow up on the law of God that actually condemns you. But you can't bow up on the goodness and kindness of God in Jesus. You understand what I'm saying here? And the more that you understand that, the more we understand that at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, the more we will quit wallowing in our self-pity and we'll minister to other people. Well, <clears throat> Jeremiah gives us uh, a couple of keys uh, about how we can be a church for the city, okay? That's what we want to be. I talked to uh, Clay Werner, who we started another church, and uh, so that's what Clay wants to be. That's what Good Shepherd wants to be. We started Resurrection Presbyterian. That's what we want to be. Uh, I'm a good friend with uh, um, Benjamin Lett at Hill Chapel, the African-American church right up the road. That's what, that's what he wants for his people. We want to be a city. We want to connect together and bring this gospel. So here's, uh, here's the first key. Can I, just, I just want to say a few things, and then we will come to the Lord's Supper. And here's the first key. Key number one, Christian, accept God's discipline in your lives. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And I'm going to tell you, these people are being disciplined. Now, that, this is after a, over a thousand years of God being patient for them. Uh, patient with the Jews. But if you notice, he doesn't completely wipe them out. In fact, if you see in verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts uh, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile. See, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the one that was bringing the discipline. But Nebuchadnezzar, he learns later in the book of Daniel that, you know what, God says, I raised you up. You are never in control. That I might discipline my people. Now, one of the things I think, we live in a culture that doesn't like discipline anymore. We don't believe in punishing uh, or, 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 you know, spanking our children. We don't believe in, uh, you know, hey, listen, I told you not to do that. I only gave you three rules. You broke that rule. You know what? You got to pay for it. And therefore, we have no concept of discipline. 
We have no concept of the gospel that, that Christ had to be crucified because we are taught that, hey, man, whatever you believe in your heart, that's, what, that's all that matters. As long as you're sincere, that's all that matters. But I'm telling you, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what we see here. So here's what I want you to think about. Are you under the discipline of God? What brought Israel under discipline? I'll give you one word, and you're going to go, oh, okay, uh, idolatry. Idolatry. And you say, well, I don't have little, you know, stone um, statues in my living room that I bow down to. If you do, I better put them up when I come over. But <clears throat> I mean, I still love you, but, but idolatry, let me tell you what it is. All it is is when you want too much of a good thing. And so it kind of runs like this. Idolatry in your own life. If you desire power or the upper hand, then you'll be ruled by that. Like if you're a real demanding father and you're harsh with your children and you're harsh with your wife, you know what? It's usually probably an insecurity. But you know what? You want power. You want the other hand, upper hand. But you know what? You destroy your family and therefore that idol ruins you. Uh, if you pursue wealth, that is your quest, you'll never have enough. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think I told the story years ago, but when I was a chaplain at Vanderbilt, one of the pastor's sons who was rebelling <laughs> asked me if I'd come talk to him about his son. So I went to a town in Tennessee, and I go into his house. And lo and behold, the whole time I'm talking to him, uh, he, was, he was watching CNN or whatever, the, 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 the business channel. And so I was kind of talking to him, and he was looking at that ticker tape. <laughs> and and uh, because he had just inherited a bunch of money. He was no more interested in me or, or his son. He was interested in how his stock was doing. Now, I want to tell you something. That man lost everything he had. It could be beauty. But if it's beauty, then you're ruled by beauty. You're ruled by food. And your Fitbit watch. Uh, ten more, ten more uh, laps around the block. Uh, oh, you got to get up. Literally ruled by your watch. But you're ruled by your idol, which is beauty. And then that idol lasts you when, when you lose your beauty. Whatever names you, rules you. You know, some of you, let me, let me say this, and I have to move on here. Some of you don't need a good counselor. You need a good repentance. You need to begin to ask the question, is the reason I am unhappy is because Jesus Christ is not the center of my life. But all that stuff that's making you miserable, and I'll tell you what, if it's making you miserable and you're married, your spouse is miserable. Because you want more stuff. You want more things. And you drive your spouse to the grave because they can't be the husband you need them to be. Can't be the wife you need them to be. Your children are often overwhelmed by mothers who are overprotective because you're their idol. And they destroy the, the thing they love. So that's one key. Uh, maybe you're under discipline right now. Maybe we are. Maybe I am. And you better repent. 
because God loves you. If you don't, it'll only get worse. Now, how's that? Now, the second principle is this. Don't believe false prophets who promise peace and prosperity without discipline. Do you notice how he says, I believe it's in verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, don't let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie they are prophesying to you in my name. Now let me tell you what's going on there. Jeremiah, every time he prophesied, he had 10 or 15 guys going, eh, he's negative, Mr. Negative, Mr. Negative. And so now all those prophets are up with the exiles. He's down in Jerusalem and he is saying to them, you're going to be there for 70 years. And guess what the false prophet said? Oh, no, two years max. You know what? Two years, you don't even unpack your bags. Two years, oh, this pain will be over with in a little bit. I'll get over this. Uh, maybe this counselor will help me get through this. And by the way, I believe in counselors. I've got a lot of them here at Redeemer. and think you ought to go to a Christ-centered counselor. Okay? But hey, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. And, uh, you know, for sake of time, I don't really have time to spend a, a lot on this, but these are the false prophets who are always making promises to you that it's going to get better. Have you ever heard people go, oh, you're going to get married one day? The Lord has somebody for you. Lie. Maybe. Maybe not. But it's Christ sufficient. Oh, you're going to have children one day. God will open up your womb. Maybe, maybe not. Oh, your child's going to be okay. That sickness is not going to be unto death. And yet we here at Redeemer have seen that happen. False prophets. Yeah, I, matter of fact, I listened to one of these prophets this uh, week on, on uh, pulled up YouTube because I was trying to get into all this. And, and I never this guy telling the, 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 the person, the, the, the person interviewing said, hey, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God? And he didn't exactly know how to say that. But he said, well, I believe he is, he, is, he is a way, but I think there are really many other ways for people who are sincere. Well, let me ask you, you ever met a sincere person in your life? I'm not. Matter of fact, we're, we're often deceived. And so he completely contradicts what our Lord Jesus Christ said, who said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. So there's all kind of false prophets that are there. And you say, well, how do you really know false prophets? I'll tell you how that you know. And if you're not a Christian here today and you're going, I don't, I don't really believe in Jesus Christ's way, the truth, and life. I, I get that and I'd love to talk to you. I, mean, I really would. Uh, but, um, but if you're a Christian, uh, if you're not Christian, let me tell you how you know it. Those, guys, those people are always preaching what we call the imperatives. Do this, do that, be good. Here's the six biblical principles. You ever been to a church and they say, here's the, here's the text, but they never go back to the text. And they go, here's six principles for a good marriage. And you break every one of those rules. Right? You go home and by Wednesday, it's like, well, that didn't work. Rather than preaching the indicatives, Christ doesn't say be light of the world. He says you're the light of the world. Why? Because you are in him. And so we must preach Christ. Third principle is this. Serve your neighbors, your co-workers, and your community in spite of your discipline. 
Are you under the discipline of God? Are you weak and you're weary? Are you doubting? You're wondering whether it's even true at all. And God, if you love, you hate your enemies. Um, if you love your friends, I'd hate to be your enemy. You think that about God? You don't know God. You don't know the grace of God. So what does he say? If you go, well, you know what? God delights in me. He's chasing me, but I know he loves me. Notice what he says in verse 4. So build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and don't decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf and for its welfare and you will find uh, your welfare. What does he say? He's very practical. Hey, look, quit wallowing in your misery. Get your head up. Go ahead and get married. Build houses. Plant vineyards. Because I know my plans for you. When it's time to celebrate, celebrate. When it's time to bury the dead, you mourn. You bury the dead. Very practical that's here. But notice, he says, not only are you to do that for yourselves, but you are to be a, a pray for the welfare of the city. Now, what does that mean? I, I mean, look. It means this, you're not to assimilate in the city and you're not to deny the city. You understand that? You're not to assimilate and, become, and use everybody for you and you're not ministering Christ to them. And the other side, you're not supposed to be the separatists of oh, those evil, wicked people that have tattoos and they go to the bars and... You're not to be those people. We, as God's people at Redeemer, are to be a blessing to our neighbors, whether they're Christians or not Christians to give our money, to give our time to make sacrifices, to go next door and actually meet your neighbor, invite them into your house, to be salt and light. You know what changed the Roman Empire? And I know you know this, what changed the Roman Empire? It was Christians living out the gospel when the plague came. And all the doctors and all their family members and all the pagans, they left the city of Rome. And you know what the Christians did? They stayed and they died. And man, right after that plague was over, people started coming to Christ in droves and Rome was one without firing a shot. Now, why would Christians do that? You know why Christians do that? Because we're citizens of another world. And we live for that world. So I don't need your money. I don't need to use you. Christ has loved me. I will love you. And the last principle, and I do have to be brief on this. The last principle is this. True disciples. I'm sorry. Trust this discipline is for your good because God who cannot lie says so. Look, what does God say? He says, trust me, 70 years you're going to be okay. You're coming back. You're not going to be in that city forever. I'm going to bring you back to, the, to, to Jerusalem. That's God's promise. But you know what? In, in due time. But let me tell you why you can trust him ultimately. Uh, you know, the verse goes on down to, uh, uh, to say this. Um, it says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are up, I'll visit you and I'll fulfill my promise. For I know my plans, plans of welfare, uh, to give you a future and a hope. Now, why can God do this? Why can God do this for sorry people like us? I'm going to tell you why. Because a greater than, than Jeremiah came 
and he's Jesus. And you know what? He was under discipline, wasn't he? Did he learn discipline? Many of you think that the kind of God nature Jesus thing and God and man, it all got mingled together. Let me tell you what. The son of man was born of a virgin and he learned discipline because he's a human being. To live the life that you on the first, second, third row, you here and all the way back, you've never done. You've never done. But you know what? He came and he studied the scriptures and he submitted to the Father even to death. That was his discipline. And the discipline of the father was that he loved us so much that he turned his back on his own son on our behalf and he lost the face of God so we can gain the face of God. That's why we have this hope in the midst of our discipline. Because Christ was disciplined and he was disciplined and he was disciplined. Now, I'm going to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ? You know, I really hope that you're not going to walk out of here and go, I'm not going to think about this. To seek the Lord while he may be found because Christ is risen from the dead. And you know what? If he wasn't risen from the dead, let's just pack it all up and go home and buy season tickets. But if he's risen from the dead, we all have hope, even if you're an unbeliever. And I would encourage you to come to Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this letter. Lord, teach us to be uh, committed uh, to this city. But Lord, we can't believe uh, that you have great plans for us, a redeemer, to minister to the poor and the needy if we don't believe uh, that your plans for us are good. Father, give hope to those who are discouraged today. That you have a plan for them, that they would be patient And they would bear under your heavy hand, for in due time you'll lift them up if they faint not. Father, for those who are unbelievers, I ask that your spirit would work in them and cause them to see their need for Christ, that in him is hope. And so, Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.